0: Welcome. Welcome and have a fresh slice of an orange. Caution, this is going to be bitter. You see that green leaf just hanging by a small connection to the branch? Its life is simple. Be born, exist, contribute to the whole body's health and then die. Be shed off. Only to become the part of the soil on which this body stands and allow even your death to nourish the roots. You may be of a different shape, colour, or style of attachment, but your journey remains the same. It is quite interesting that women are so often compared to a beautiful, luscious, bright flower and yet. They are valued only as leaves. In many great cultures of the world including Hinduism, green is the color representing fertility. In my own family, married women traditionally wear green bangles, a sign of their fertility and womanhood. And yet, I see the life of this leaf and wonder how it has only lived for others' convenience how it has existed for a singular purpose. Sometimes that purpose is to nurture the tree, sometimes to nurture the animals who eat it, sometimes to humans who use it for some or the other purpose. In return, we have even been incapable of allowing more of these leaves to grow. The life of this leaf also reminds me Of a woman's life. A woman whose story so many have forgotten that so many are unaware. Even if I gave you a hint, it might be difficult for you to guess who she is. That's how lost her story is. Yet, it is there. In those pages of the oldest of books, if only one has the courage to open them. Let me open those pages to you. She is a beautiful princess, more virtuous than any woman of her time. But as of now, she is just a sweet little girl. A girl playing in the household of her father. Her father is the king of the greatest kingdom on earth. She is learning to be fluent in languages, to be a proper homemaker or if she wants even a governor. A sister to five brothers, she is most loved, most cared and as the future shall tell, most unfortunate. Even then, in her heart, she has never held on to any grudges. She gracefully has risen far above it. Now she is a lady, prepared to be married, waiting to be wed off. Like her brothers, father and mothers, she too wants to be of great service to her nation, to all of this humanity, for which she performs austerity and receives a special boon, a boon she thinks would make her the purest of beings and she shall have full control of her destiny, but oh so naive she was. Because somewhere far away, another young man has performed austerity and has received ultimate enlightenment, which has led him to be grateful to his teacher, who has taught him everything. To lighten the burden of his gratefulness, he asks his teacher to receive payment in return, but after many protests from his teacher that he does not wish to be paid, this great teacher finally requests a payment, a payment from the student which shall teach him a lesson, a lesson that one must not pester someone to receive payment when he has no means to pay. In a fit of frustration, the teacher asks his student, to pay him with horses, yes horses, but a very special breed of horses, those that are pure white but with black ears. Apparently this rarest of horses is exquisite for any person with a flair for animal husbandry. And as the story unfolds you will know that this particular teacher has been known throughout history to have caused a whole lot of trouble only to be able to own rare animals how many of these horses he demanded you ask Uh, not one or two but all 800 of them yes I, I did not believe that there were 800 of such horses even in existence but the student after hearing this gulps a bit of blood, metaphorically. Since no man shall sway from his word, he decides to embark upon a journey, to anyhow collect these horses. This young brahmin now reaches the palace in which our protagonist, the sweet princess, lives. Unaware of what lays ahead, the young brahmin is escorted in front of the king. In those days, It is customary for any king to fulfill the desires of any Brahmin who comes to them for help or any other means that they require. So soon this young man keeps his request in front of the king. He needs 800 of some precious horses, but of whose whereabouts he has no clue. The king is shaken at this request because he has absolutely no way of giving the brahmin these horses. He himself does not own them, but it is considered a grave sin to let a brahmin leave a palace discontented. It has till date only caused end of any kingdom who ever dares to commit this sin, with even the proof of their existence being vanished in thin air. The king cannot risk such a punishment for the whole of his kingdom. He can no way give these 800 horses to this brahmin. So what shall he do? But yes, he can surely give him something useful. The leaf of his tree. No, I don't mean a real leaf. The king offers his daughter as wife to this brahmin. But the Brahmin feels insulted. He doesn't want a bride. It's probably the last thing he wants right now. The king proceeds to tell him, I offer you my own daughter, not any other fair maiden. For she has a boon so divine that she can help you get those horses. You shall be allowed to trade her capability for those 800 horses. As far as I am aware, there are three kings who each own 200 of these horses. The rest, I do not know if even exist. Having nowhere else to go, this young Brahmin, in hopes of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, accepts this offer. And soon the princess is married off to the stranger in a private ceremony. After the wedding rituals are completed, the couple head on towards the first kingdom, Ayodhya, to the king named Hariashva. King Hariashva is the ancestor of many great Ayodhyans. On their way, the Brahman asks his wife, what is the boon she has that shall allow him to trade 200 rare horses? In exchange from King of Ayodhya. I can't imagine what shower of pain would have befallen this sweet princess. Once she realizes the purpose of her marriage, she understood her duty towards her kingdom and tells her husband about her womb. After years of penance and strife, I have received this womb, that I shall have the honor of being the mother of greatest men on earth. I shall always bear sons, and the lineage of these sons shall write history. Also after every birth, I shall regain my virginity, my purity, at will. I agree, that is not much of a boon to ask for. I do not understand why Madhavi felt this urge of asking for such a boon but I I am not the one to question I realize that the situation of her family her kingdom her brothers her mothers her own father Everything around her would have shown that this was the actual face of purity. This was how a woman could control her own destiny, however she would be proven so wrong. The solution finally dawns on the young Brahmin, coincidentally by some eerie turn of fate three kings who own these horses have no sons and hence no heir to their thrones. He finally realizes what he must do to get those horses. On reaching the palace of King Haryashv, he demands a private audience with the king, where he offers the services of his wife in exchange for those 200 rare horses that the king owns. The sad thing is that the king does not even flinch at this request. Not just he shall receive an heir to his throne, but the ethereal beauty of this princess is an added bonus. I believe even if I were to use all the words that exist in language, I still shall understating the height of the princess's emotion. Traded by a father in exchange for the safety of his kingdom now traded by her husband in exchange for 200 petty horses. And yet, this is only the beginning of her troubles. After the horrendous night, the princess is escorted back to her father's house, where she shall give birth to the future king of Ayodhya. After nine months, the princess gives birth to a beautiful prince, but whom she leaves in the care of her father. She regains her purity and heads to the kingdom of Kashi, to their king, Divodas. The princess, however painful she may have felt in her heart, must go through this ordeal once again, to keep the promise of her father, or so she thought. Again on hearing the offer, the king is rather happy since he is clearly the profiting party in this trade. Once again, the next day the princess rides back to her father's kingdom where again after nine months of struggle and confusion, she gives birth to the second prince, who is in every way equal to the first one. No sooner, the princess again regains her purity and once again leaves her son in the care of her father and she to the kingdom of Boj, along with her so-called husband. Presumably, to be her last strife, but in reality, far from it. Again the same process of an unholy trade, the gruesome acceptance of the king Ushinara. Again she is exchanged for 200 more horses and next day goes back to her father's kingdom for 9 more months. After 9 more months, she thinks that since there are no more horses to collect, she may finally be able to spend a happy life with her husband, who however traded her but she still found some peace in knowing that just after this mess, they both shall live happily ever after. So finally, she accompanies her husband to his teacher's home along with those 600 horses. They reach the doorstep of his teacher, and on meeting him, the Brahmin prostrates himself in front of the great teacher and requests him to accept the 600 horses. But the teacher refuses. He had, after all, asked for 800 of those. Yet again, instead of Apologizing for his proud of paying his teacher, the Brahmin makes one last trade. In exchange for the lapse of last 200 horses, once again he trades the service of his wife only for an excuse of the lack of payment. Again, even though he is a great teacher and has no lack of sons, still accepts the offer, seeing the beauty of the young princess. Though one would hope that this was the last straw in the princess's marriage, but no, a little more was to come. No pun intended. The next day, broken, shattered, the princess again goes to her father's house for another agonizing nine months, after which again a son is born. And again left in her father's care. Next morning she finally feels that now the debt is paid and she shall finally live happily with her husband whom she had come to love. The king requests the Brahmin that now since the debt is paid he may accept the princess as his virtuous wife and embark upon a new journey of happiness together. But the Brahmin as full of himself as he was says to the king that he is not looking for a household. His life shall be one of penance and austerity in the womb of nature. But he may accept the princess once she regains her purity. The princess hears this and after 27 months of sacrificing herself, she may only be accepted once she regains her so-called purity, decides that she shall no longer follow the wishes of others and rejects the Brahmin's proposal. That if he cannot see her true purity in her sacrifices, love and intentions, then there is no point of physical purity. Now I shall address you to the caste. The Brahmin named Galav leaves the kingdom of a Chandravanshi Chakravartan Samrat Yayati leaving a princess more purer than the glaciers who sacrificed herself, her will her life for the betterment of her kingdom and for her husband to pay his debt to a great teacher a so called great teacher named Vishwamitra If you don't know who these people are let me give you a brief genealogy. Yayati is son of Nahusa and Ashok Sundri. Thus, he is the grandson of Shiv and Parvati themselves. He is also son in law to Shukrachary and Vasuparv. His sons lay forth different dynasties all across India, including Yaduvanchi, Kaurav, Pandav, Ushinar the so-called heroes of Mahabharata. And Vishwamitra, he's one of the seven great sages of India, Saptarishi. Galav leaves all of it behind into oblivion. As beyond this point, his name leaves the pages of history since only this act shall be his legend to posterity. As for our princess, I wish to ask a question, which I am sure she would have wanted to ask too. Is this the only value she carried to any of her loved ones? A maiden who could bear sons and remain a virgin for as long as she cared. Her story is of the hypocrisy of society how on one side the world desires purity and virtue but extends none of those in their action towards women. It is important to note here that in those days, trading a wife, trading a daughter were considered heinous crimes. To sleep with another man's wife, sleeping with a student's wife where the student was considered a son to the teacher was most shameful, was an extremely punishable act. Disowning one's wife on no grounds, but only that she had thoroughly followed the man's instruction, were considered signs of a lowly creature. And yet in this story, we see that all these horrific crimes are committed, but are not just forgiven, but rather lauded in the ancient text named Mahabharata. Though Mahabharata is already known for disrespecting women and undermining their value as it is, but this particular story shows an unapologetically pathetic side of society. I believe this era was the one of the lowest points in our history. It was This disrespectfulness and unfairness towards women that led to this yug, where the suffering of women shall go on increasing. And it represents that a society's value very much depends on how they treat their women, their status in that society. I till now have not completely concluded the story. Our protagonist is Madhvi. The eternal virgin, the sacrificial princess, the great mother to kings and sages, but now I give her another name, the personification of purity. Cause maybe Galav did not, but here, through my words, I regard her sacrifice, her soul, her intentions and the beauty of her heart to be utterly pure. And it did not matter even for a second if she is a virgin or not. Still I must tell you that after Galav's farewell, the king Yayati organized a grand swayamvar for Madhvi. It is believed that she entered the hall as a virgin but honestly I couldn't care less for that detail. On asking Madhvi to choose a husband for herself from the pool of suitors, she simply replies Father, I am thankful to you for all your efforts, but I wish to be married no more. My wish is to roam freely through the forest and lay my mind in meditation, in the heart of my mother nature. The king with a heavy heart and a heavy conscience apologizes to Madhvi for all he had done and frees her of the formalities of a princess's life. Madhvi heads away from home one final time. Her choice is exemplary to all women. Her life maybe not so much. She was naive, she was innocent. What was done to her, she gladly took it upon her only because she thought that it was her duty and responsibility. But her final act serves as inspiration. Why? Because it shows that it is no point to be in a place that does not know your true value. In that forest, she may not have her family, she may not be a princess but she will be free. Later in life, all four of her sons visit her and join her in austerity and penance. And even all five of them together allow Prakking Yayati to extend his life on up to heaven. Madhavi heads away from home one final time, but this time with hope and happiness in her heart. Hope of finding the true peace in nature's purity.